It's the 5th of August, and welcome to the Great Lakes Vegetable Producers Network, a live weekly roundtable discussion during the growing season for commercial vegetable producers in the Great Lakes and Midwest region. We broadcast live via Zoom at 12.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 Central Time, every Wednesday from the first week of May to the first week of September. There are CCA credits available for today's episode, so if you are a certified crop advisor, you can enter your name and email in the chat box, uh, and we will email you the QR code for this session. My name is Ben Phillips from Michigan State University, and I'll be one of your hosts today. My co-host is Phil Toko, also from MSU. Mike Reinke is our Zoom engineer from MSU. So, Phil, what are we doing today? So, harvest is going full speed on most farms right now. And with it comes a need for cleaning and food contact of food contact surfaces. We have two guests today. Uh, we're excited to join just like last week from Ohio State and from Purdue University. So we have Melanie Ivey from the Ohio State University uh, and Amanda Deering of Purdue University. Um, Melanie's worked on as a food safety specialist at Ohio State. She said for on and off for the last 20 years, she's based in, in Worcester, um, and she is a lot of her, she's, uh, her classic training is in plant pathology and she does a lot of plant pathology, but she also works on food safety as well, which is what we're commandeering her for today. Amanda is also an associate professor at Purdue and she's an extension specialist for food safety. She's been, been in that position for the last 10 years. So we'd like our listeners to ask Melanie and Amanda questions using the Q and a box and make sure to upvote your favorite so that they can get to them first. They'll, They'll uh, tackle these questions in the back half of the show, the, the last half hour of the show. And so with that, we can get on with, with our questions. All right. Thanks, Phil. So um, I think Amanda was talking about this just a little while ago before we officially started that it's, it's muddy out. Things are dirty. We got about two inches of rain in the last few days, and I was harvesting pickling cucumbers for a trial. And... Uh, it was disgusting. <laughs> it's really bad. And all the containers that we harvested into now are pasted in this nice clay film. Um, and they're going to need to be cleaned at some point. So can you tell me a little bit about the difference between cleaning and sanitizing? And this is going to be directed mainly at uh, Melanie, but you can both take a crack at it. But the difference between cleaning and sanitizing and why you would do one and not the other or why you would do both yeah, that's, that's a really good question, Ben. And I think before I can really answer it adequately, I think it's important to distinguish between cleaning and sanitation because they aren't the same. And a lot of times the terms are used interchangeably incorrectly. And so for cleaning, this is a process where you're actually physically removing foreign material, generally organic material, such as dirt or hair or plant debris, and also microorganisms. So you're removing them from the surface and you often use a soap or another type of detergent to do that, along with water, obviously, and some scrubbing action or friction associated with it. And with cleaning, you don't aren't necessarily killing the bacteria or the virus or the fungi or whatever you're trying to um, uh, decontaminate, but you're actually removing them, physically removing them and getting them to levels that are lower than um, originally were on the surface. And then you're preventing then or reducing the possibility of spread because you're reducing the number 
of um, organisms that are on the surface, and you're also re removing any of that dirt or debris, which can then interfere with the effectiveness of the sanitizer. And so that is cleaning, <clears throat> excuse me, while sanitation is the process of using chemicals to kill or inactivate those microorganisms that you don't want, whether they're viruses, bacteria, or fungi. And you do this on a clean surface. So sanitizing and disinfecting chemicals, as I just mentioned, are less effective if your surface is dirty. And so for this reason, you can't just clean the surface or just sanitize the surface because the cleaning won't kill or deactivate the pathogens and the sanitizers aren't effective at cleaning, aren't effective on a dirty surface. Thank you for clarifying. I actually feel like I haven't heard it explained quite like that before. I've never fully appreciated how cleaning is strictly a physical action mainly. It's a physical action aided by soap, whereas sanitizing is basically a chemical killing of microscopic things. It's not just physical removal. It's like a chemical action. I, I didn't appreciate that fully before. Um, can I ask you a quick follow-up on cleaning? Sure. There's, if there's one word I'm sick of hearing, I'd like to be disabused of this. I want to know if I should be sick of hearing this or not, but power washing. We power washed it. We're going to power wash it. We power washed it before. We're power washing it now. We're going to power wash it later. What Does that mean it's clean? Yeah. So it, it can mean it's clean um, okay. because what cleaning, part of the process of cleaning is removing the debris, the plant material, the hair, the dirt. And so in, you're using a lot of pressure or friction to, to remove that from the surface. So cleaning doesn't necessarily have to have a, a, de, a detergent associated with it, but often it does. So some surfaces may not um, be amenable to a, a soap or a detergent, but it's not killing the pathogens. Yeah. It's, it's removing them and reducing the numbers. So yes, you can use power washing as a method to clean the surface, but you're going to have to also follow up with sanitation. Okay. And I think I've seen some power washers that have a soap reservoir that injects it into the, to the high pressure stream. So that would add that third component to cleaning, uh, the water, the friction, and then also the detergent or the soap. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's not, it's not that it doesn't, it, it can't be used. It's that it's not that sanitizer step. So the first step is getting everything clean so that if the surface then can be sanitized, the sanitizer will be effective. Otherwise you're wasting your time and money and effort, you know, sanitizing a dirty surface. Yeah. I think the reason I, I, get, I, I worry about hearing the word power wash a lot is because through trainings, uh, I, I got pretty used to saying, you know, power washing just blasts that stuff all over the place. But I understand from a grower's perspective, there's a, a huge time saver element to, uh, to, to that versus scrubbing individual things and uh, the time and of the labor, but also the cost of the labor and the cost of the time. So power washing seems to be an attractive option. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that it is it is a cleaning process and they can use it to clean, but they, I think they still need to be aware of deflection, right? Do you have any, and that kind of leads to the next question, Phil, which has more to do with like the surrounding structure and things like that. You want to 
go into that sure. question? Sure. Actually, I had a quick, quick follow up to that. Um, okay. How important is is drying to the whole process of cleaning and sanitizing? Is it Great is that important or? Yeah. So I think we basically break down cleaning and sanitizing into four steps. Although I often talk about a fifth step, which is you know, especially if you're um, needing to keep documentation as the documentation step because that step is often forgotten. But you know, the first step is to get rid of the dirt and debris from the surfaces. And then, you know, the second step is to wash or scrub those surfaces. And then you rinse, you want to get rid of any excess dirt or um, detergent that might be on that surface. And then you sanitize. And, you know, between that rinsing and sanitizing, it's a good idea to have a drying step to try and get rid of any of the excess water that's on there. Because if you have a lot of excess water, it can just dilute your sanitizer as well. So a drying step is always good to have in between there. And then after you sanitize, it really depends on the sanitizer, whether or not you have to have a rinsing step or whether or not um, you can just leave it and let it dry and move on, or whether or not you even need to let it dry. Um, but it's important with the sanitizers that um, you know what's happening, or you know what the protocol is and the recommendations for the sanitizer. So drying is important, um, and especially for the cleaning step, but then when you move on to the sanitizer step, whether or not you let that dry often depends on the sanitizer you're using. So those are certainly some, some important considerations. So I'm curious if there are other considerations that folks would need to think about with respect to cleaning and sanitizing the pack house. Yeah, I, I mean, I think first and foremost is when you're cleaning and packing in, in or sanitizing and cleaning in the, in the packing house is to make sure that your water is clean. So basically, once you get to the packing house stage where, you know, that's post-harvest practices and you want to make sure that your water um, has no detectable E. coli in it. So basically, that means you would be willing to drink it <laughs> so it's potable. And there are, um, there are lots of different water sources that can be used, but most Importantly, it needs to be potable, which would mean that you would be using municipal water, city water, or well water, as long as, you know, the well water, um, you're practicing best practices to make sure that the well water is actually um, no, no detectable E. coli in it. So that, that's the most important, I think, when it comes to cleaning and sanitizing in the packing house. Um, the second one is what I kind of hinted at is making sure that you pick the correct sanitizer. So not all surfaces are amenable to all sanitizers and sanitizers aren't effective on all different types of surfaces. And so it's really important that you um, select the sanitizer that's best for the surface you're using, whether it's a non-porous surface or it's a, a porous surface. So something that you would use on cardboard or um, on wooden crates is not going to be the same as what you use on plastic crates, for instance. And then <clears throat> you also um, want to make sure that you follow the instructions, remembering that the label is the law, the same as when you're using pesticides, uh, 
the labels the law, the label is also the law for sanitizers. And so follow the instructions carefully and make sure that you're considering the contact time of your sanitizer, uh, which is very important because not all sanitizers have the same contact time. Make sure that you follow the guidelines if it needs to be rinsed off or not, and then whether or not it needs to be dry. And then most importantly for this is that you're selecting a food grade sanitizer if it's gonna be coming in contact with the produce. So any surfaces that come in direct contact with your produce, you have to be using a food grade sanitizer. And the EPA has a list on their website that you can um, find uh, sanitizers that are food grade and also for specific surfaces. I think lastly, when you're working with a sanitizer is you know, making sure that you're using it in a way that's safe for your workers. And so make sure that you, uh, again, read the label and that factors that you should consider for worker safeties would be things like uh, personal protective equipment, mixing and preparation instructions, and then storage requirements. And a lot of times um, we don't think about storage requirements, but I think it's really important. And I can give you an example from an experience that we had with um, a sanitizer that contained hydrogen peroxide and periacetic acid. It got delivered to the lab and it was, well, it got delivered to the building and was, um, we weren't told about it and it sat in the heat for quite a while mm. and it exploded Whoa. because the temperatures weren't correct and we had pressure build up there. It's a strong oxidizing agent and the container couldn't contain it. So it's really important when you're working with sanitizers that you you um, pay attention to how they can be stored. And then others, go ahead. I was just going to ask, did you get a hazmat call on that one? Uh, well, luckily, <laughs> uh, I'm the biosafety officer. <laughs> that really building. is lucky. <laughs> so, um, but I can tell you that the people who delivered it did get uh, an earful on that. <laughs> um, Another thing is chlorine, which is the most common sanitizer. You know, you need to make sure that you're using chlorine properly, that you're mixing it to the correct pH and the, the correct temperature, any chlorine-based sanitizer, because it will release um, toxic chlorine gas if you don't. And that can be very dangerous. And it can also mix with other types of chemicals in the air um, or that you have in that area and be very toxic. To, um, to everyone. So those are kind of the three big points I would think are important when you're cleaning and sanitizing the packing house. Thanks. Can I, can I add one thought to that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I got to do an on-farm readiness review a couple of weeks ago, and uh, which is where we go to a farm and give them a walk through, almost like a pre-inspection for free and this confidential and everything. Um, before our actual inspection from a, a regulator. And we, we got to go see a section that they were building. They were in the process of building it. Uh, they, were, they, were like, they were a big proponent of power washing and they were going to be power washing apple bins and stuff. And they understood that there's a lot of debris that can get blown away and blown around doing that. And so they, they were in the middle, middle of constructing this tiny room that was basically just large enough for a forklift to, to – to insert a box, an apple box into it. And then they, they were gonna be putting these uh, plastic sides up all around it, almost like a, a stall you would drive your car into to wash it. 
uh, for the, like when you stick the quarters in every 30 seconds, it seems like kind of like a room like that in which they were, they would be able to power wash uh, from all sides and anything that would hit the walls would hopefully stick to the walls and then they could rinse the walls down between, uh, between uh, things instead of blasting it clear across the packing house and into a line somewhere or something like that. I just thought I'd add that thought. Yeah, I think, you know, that's important. And also um, for the greenhouse industry, you know, we recommend that, you know, crates and, and any type of surfaces that are containers that move in and out are cleaned and sanitized outside of the greenhouse. So not where the plants are in production, um, which is really important because a lot of times, you know, they're in a rush and they will just want to, you know, even use power washers within the greenhouse, which isn't recommended. So, you know, being um, conscious of, you know, that spray debris that can happen and being in areas where, you know, you can either control it or it's not going to come into contact with with your production um, materials or even your plants for that matter if you're in a greenhouse. Okay. Um, so I want to turn to Amanda for a bit here. And um, we've been talking about cleaning in the pack house, sanitizing in the pack house. Um, and I've heard of this concept called a clean break. Can you talk a little bit about what clean breaks are and how they fit into a pack house scenario? Mm -hmm, sure. So a clean break is basically when you, you're going to clean and sanitize your entire packing line, right? And so why this is important, the concept of a clean break, is because it relates directly to lot size. It, <clears throat> it's actually the definition of a lot size. So you pack your produce, say eight hours, <clears throat> clean break, you tear down everything, you clean, sanitize, and then you, you start back up. So what everything before that clean break is a lot, and then you start a new lot after that clean break. So there's really no rule that says how often you have to have this clean break, but growers just need to keep in mind if you know, we do have a recall, what amount of product are you willing to recall? So you know, if it's eight hours of production, so your recall, if there's a recall, it would be that one lot, likely, could be more, but it would be a, a day's production because you survive that. But say you only do a clean break once a week, well, your lot size then is that whole week's worth of production. And I've even been into places um, that have dump tanks, and I ask them how often they, they clean those, and they say once a year. So what does that mean that your lot size is? Yeah, wow. It's that whole year's worth of production. And that would be devastating to have to recall something like that, especially if we're talking about something like apples that we store for quite a while. You know, you, that, that would be absolutely devastating. So again, there's no, that's why growers always say, well, how often do I have to do this? And it's, it's really up to them where they feel comfortable defining their lot. And a lot of the big ones I work with, usually it's once a day that it's a day's worth of production, but you know, we've worked for other ones where it's a week and they say they're comfortable, you know, recalling a week's worth of product. And, and if that's the case, so be it. There's nobody saying, defining what that, that lot size has to be. But I tell people that if you can, at least once a day, if you can do it, I would recommend it. That's, that's pretty important. I'm, I'm curious too, you know, 
we, it seems like with novel coronavirus that, that there's a lot of people paying attention to cleaning and sanitizing. I can tell you that before coronavirus hit, nobody ever asked me about cleaning and sanitizing and why it was important or disinfection and why it was important. So I'm curious if, if with novel coronavirus, should, should there be changes in how cleaning and sanitizing is done? Should it be done more frequently? Should it be changed on, on how diligent you are? I mean, how, how should folks approach cleaning and sanitizing now that we're dealing with coronavirus? Well, yeah, and I, I agree with you, Phil. I've definitely gotten more questions, especially on sanitizers and what sanitizers can I use against coronavirus. And I guess my answer to that is as frequently as possible and really focus on those high touch areas. You know, we it's clear or pretty clear anyway from the data that coronavirus is spread from human to human, you know, through droplets. And it's not as clear that services are as, or I guess that's how people contract it through services. That's not entirely clear, but we're still recommending that people clean and sanitize those areas as often as possible. And if you really want to dig deeper into this, if you look at the CDC's website, they actually give directions for cleaning uh, non-porous and porous surfaces for coronavirus. And they also provide a link there that um, is to EPA's registered products that are sanitizers that are effective against killing the coronavirus. So most of these sanitizers, if they've done the research to show that they can kill coronavirus-like viruses or similar viruses, and those products then have been put on this um, list of products by EPA. And I took a look through that list yesterday briefly, and a lot of the products our growers are using for uh, sanitizing their fruits and vegetables when they pack them are the same chemicals that are on that EPA list. So it wouldn't even be that you would have to go out and buy new products for this for cleaning and sanitizing, especially for coronavirus. You probably, the growers probably already have these uh, products of, that they're using for their food contact services anyway. Um, but as often as they can, you know, obviously there's a time and money constraint um, with doing this, but and focus on those high touch areas. I think that that's where we want to put, if we're cleaning more often, more frequently, focus on those high touch points. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to have a sort of a clear directive on that because I know a lot of folks are like, like I say, they're, they're, they're taking the nuclear approach to cleaning and sanitizing this, this season. And like I said, I'd never got up till this point, I'd never gotten a call on cleaning and sanitizing. And I mean, there's a lot of people, people I wouldn't have expected to ask. So I'm glad, I'm glad you could clarify that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm was happy to see EPA put the time making that list. I think that really helps growers and just consumers find out what products they can use. So if anybody has any questions about that, I would encourage them to check out that list on EPA. And, it, and it's pretty, it's at the top of Google. So if you just Google, you know, sanitizers, EPA, coronavirus, it's basically the first hit. So it's pretty easy to find. Cool. That's what I did yesterday anyway. <laughs> came right up. <laughs> so, can I, I also wanted just to make a comment about the clean breaks and sanitizers. Sure. Um, it, again, I'm just gonna say to make sure that you read the label because the more some sanitizers are really corrosive and if you're not following the labels and you're you're sanitizing more frequently, you can run into tr troubles with 
um, the effect that it'll have on your surfaces or your equipment. And I work a lot in the hydroponic industry and we've been looking at clean breaks um, for the hydroponic systems. And one of the, the sanitizers we've been testing is, you know, just basic chlorine bleach. And we've found at the rates that need, the rates that are most effective, the chlorine is super hard on the pump systems that have a lot of plastic and rubber. And so you, you want to make sure that, you know, you consider the sanitizer you're using with the frequency and it may be that you need to alternate or rotate the type of sanitizer so that you're not being so hard on your, on your surfaces, especially those that are plastic or have, you know, rubber associated. That's a great point. So as a pesticide, I mean, these are things that kill life. They're basically called biocides is I think the big general term I've heard for sanitizers and regulated by the EPA. Um, what what should should folks be paying much attention to like resistance control and rotating products like they are with fungicides and insecticides and herbicides is that much of a thing with sanitizers well i i can start off with that and say that sanitizers are more like a um a low risk uh fungicide so they have a broad usually have a broad range of ways that they attack the, the microorganism. And so it's a lot harder for the microorganism to develop resistance. That said, they, you know, if there are, depending on what the mode of action is for the sanitizer, there could be the possibility, but generally the risk um, is fairly low for the development of um, antimicrobial resistance with these sanitizers. So they're like a Bravo or a Captan. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And I think the fresh cut industry always worries about this, you know, that because most of them all use chlorine and they're super worried that some of these pathogens will develop resistance against chlorine. And to date, I don't, I I mean, yeah, you're right. The mode of action would depend, you know, how it's killing. But to date, I haven't seen a lot um, or I haven't seen anything that is suggesting that's happening. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, low risk. I would agree. It's interesting. Uh, we appreciate, certainly appreciate uh, that. Uh, definitely, hopefully, at least it'll get us thinking about possibly rotating our sanitizers and stuff a little bit. So I want to thank you both uh, for joining us, both Melanie and Amanda. We really appreciate your time this week. Um, what's up? What's up next week, Ben? Okay, Phil. Yeah, next week we're going to be talking about hot peppers, uh, all sorts of stuff about hot peppers, and I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm the guest and I'm not the host. So you'll see me or hear me again, but I won't be leading it. Uh, you can do it at the same, you can watch it at the same place, uh, glveg.net slash listen at the same time, 1230 Eastern time, 1130 Central time. And you can email any questions ahead of time to greatlakesvegwg at gmail.com. And this production is supported by the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. So uh, at this point, we're going to transition into the live Q&A part. Um, I'm also, um, and basically, we got a couple of questions in the chat, and I'll ask them in the order that we got them in, because I don't think anybody upvoted them. But the first one goes all the way back to power washing. And the question is, is it recommended to use a sanitizer chemical in a power washer? Kind of, I know we had talked about using soap in some models of power washers, but what about sanitizers? Ugh. 
That's a good question, and I think I, I would say <laughs> check the label um, because some of these, you know, may be at, at a different particle size, have impact their toxicity. Um, I know that a lot of times, like, again, going back to fungicides or insecticides, you know, there'll be, there'll be recommendations on whether or not they can go through drip irrigation or they can be um, put on using a, um, a crop duster or something like that. So I would check whether or not there's any guidelines um, on the label. And, and maybe Amanda or, or Phil might be able to jump in on that. Well, and I would say if, if you're using the power washer to remove the actual material, the dirt from there, I probably I wouldn't add a sanitizer at that point because you're, the efficacy just goes, it just tanks if it's a dirty surface. And the other thing I would worry about, so even if you add it then after that, um, when you power wash, some of these sanitizers can be pretty nasty if they volatilize, right? They give off, I mean, they, you breathe that stuff in and it's, it's not pretty. So I would just be very hesitant. Um, and again, it would go back to what the label says, if it's labeled for that, but I'd be very hesitant to apply it that way, just for worker safety issues. Yeah, that, and that's a good point, Amanda, because the other thing is, too, whether or not you, you can actually meet the contact time of, of that sanitizer on that surface with the power washer. You know, if you power washing it for 10 minutes, because that's the contact time, does that actually equal a complete coverage? Um, so that, that's a good point. That actually brings up, that just to, to clarify, so not only is does sanitizer need to have a certain concentration on a surface to work, but it also needs a certain amount of time of exposure in order to work as well. So that's, it's kind of important to, to understand that. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of it from a pesticide standpoint. When any pesticide is is labeled for use, there's a rate, and that also necessitates calibration of the machine that's applying it. Um, I have, I'm, I'm quite unaware of calibration of power washers and what the final rate ends up being. If, if you know this, I mean, it's, it's possible with the dosatron feeding into a, into a, a tank, you can, you can set a, a legit rate. So, I mean, it's possible. The one caveat I would say, and, and I'm not saying people should use sanitizer or sanitation chemicals and power washers. What I am saying is in some, there's one case where you might have a sanitizer in the water used for a power washer. And that's in the case, if you're treating the water because it potentially was above a threshold with respect mm. to generic E. coli, you might be treating that water prior to use. That, that is not, that's, that's different than yeah. adding sanitizer for the purposes of sanitizing a surface. So, and then that's, I just want to make that point of clarification for those folks who are like, nope, nope, I can't add sanitizer to this water. Cause they said in some cases you might have to add sanitizer to that water to make that water potable in order to use it for cleaning and sanitation. That's a good point. Really good point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have another question that was submitted uh, relative to the list of sanitizers that we were talking about, which I think might be called list N. I'm not sure. The question asker says, when it comes to list N, Amanda said that the products our growers use for routine sanitation are often the same compounds as are on the list. Can you clarify whether the presence of Sanidate 5.0 on this list means that any PAA products uh, are effective against coronavirus? 
Well, so it depends on what the label has. So, right, so Sanity is a proxy acetic acid, and it is on the list. I did check that. I was curious yesterday. Um, but every, it depends on the testing that that company, the data the company has submitted to EPA to get that label approval. So if they've tested their specific compound for viruses, then it's labeled for use. It would probably be on that list, right? So, you know, that's the same, we run into this all the time. So, you know, can I use the chlorine I buy to put in my pool to wash my fruits and vegetables? Well, technically not. It, even though it's the same chemical, it's not labeled for fruit and vegetable washing, right? So these chemical companies, that's just kind of how they work. They will label them for different uses. And then, of course, there's different costs associated with them. So in the case of Sanidate, yes, it's on the list. And yes, a lot of people are using that. It is also labeled for fruit and vegetable washing. Does that, does that answer the question? Or does anybody else have any yeah, I think, I think that answers the question very well. And I would add that, you know, the concentration of these different PA products as well. So, you know, you can't assume that the concentration of the, the product is the same as what is for Sanitate 5. So again, you got to go back to the label and check that um, because they all have a slightly, they have a different number often after them which indicates they have a slightly different concentration of the two um, chemicals. Is there a use, I mean, I know with, with other chemicals, they sometimes add adjuvants or, or stickers and spreaders or things when it comes to pesticide usage. Is there any of that with sanitizers? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Additives. I feel I can't think of any one that I know of off the top of my head. Um, we do a lot of sanitizer testing too, and I don't, not that I know of it, but I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I just, Melanie, do you, have you ever? Yeah, I've, I've never encountered it either. Okay. I would think um, that any, any additive would also have to be food grade for this purpose. Yes. So if absolutely. it was like some kind of soap or oil to increase, increase spreading or whatever, that would all have to go through the same food grade right. business. And I don't, I mean, I think probably the reason we haven't encountered it is because a lot of times it probably interferes with the efficacy of the product gotcha. itself. Um, because if it's a soap-based or, um, you know, has any type of um, fatty acid type thing in it, it probably interferes with the sanitizer. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Thanks. Uh, one of our participants added something to the chat that I think well, may, might only be visible to us, but... Uh, a product that's a pH stabilizer uh, may qualify as an additive for for a sanitizer. And basically to increase efficacy, as Melanie said, um, for those products that do require a certain pH. So yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Well, um, those are all the questions we got in the chat or in the Q&A. So I think we're going to wrap up. Um, unless there's any people on the phone, I don't see any on the phone right now. So uh, yeah, I think it's time to uh, to close it out. Is that okay with you, Phil? I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Melanie, and thank you, Amanda, for joining us today. And uh, I hope to see some of the attendees next week when we talk about hot peppers. Hey, well, thanks for thank having you. us. Thanks thank for the for opportunity, Ben. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye bye. Take care.